Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Pod Studios. The Felger and Maz podcast is presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Sports Hub. Are you ready for this? Do, 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 do. It's Felger and Maz. Uh, stupid, my uh, God. Oh. Presented by DraftKings Sportsbook on 98.5 The Sports Hub. Bill, along those same lines, you went for it early in the game, fourth and two, and got the touchdown. Later in the game, early fourth quarter, was fourth and three, kind of near midfield. You decided to punt. What went into that decision? Any thought to go for it there? Yeah, before we got the interception. Yeah, it was like, I think you're down by 17. It was fourth and three. And then we got the interception. Right. Felt like, I mean, at that point, we'd lost three starters. Worried about the pass protection. Worried about the sweater being able to execute in that situation. Felt like we were playing good defense and like the ball back on a turnover, you know, three and out, get the ball in better, better field position. All right, hi there, everybody. Welcome into the program. Felger and Maserati coming to you on Tuesday, December 19th. Tuesdays being a big boy Tuesday. Greg Bedard from the Boston Sports Journal joins us uh, from our Town Fair Tire Studios in Waltham with Maz and Murray. I'm remote today big boy maz murray how's everybody doing good you good, good. you hi everybody so i just uh, play that again that was belichick post game sunday to get into some football with greg bedard there'll be two uh, main things today with bedard and one is just sort of reaction to the game and uh, the current state of the team off of that game and how belichick is managing it down the stretch and the second thing will be you know what's going forward what's going forward for belichick what's going forward for the patriots and their coaching staff and that's pretty much it if you want to join us uh, by all means, you're welcome. 617-779-0985. But, Greg, we will start with uh, that Chiefs game and Belichick's response to it. How do you feel about the way Belichick managed that game? How do you feel about the way he's managing the team overall here down the stretch? And what does those, and what do those replies say to you? So as far as how he uh, managed this game, I, I, I did not like what happened in the second half. I think that um, once Bailey Zappi threw the interception, uh, Bill told O'Brien, take the air out of the ball. Let's just try to keep it close. Let's try to get a couple turnovers. Um, you know, of course, Bill evidently can predict when Kadarius Tony is just going to drop a ball to Jelani Tavai. Um, you know, I, I just don't think that he is he's going for it. Now, I understand football Football-wise, in a vacuum, I understand what he was talking about in terms of 
protection. In the second half, they couldn't protect at all. They gave up a 64% pressure rate. Uh, once Moffey went into the game, and now, you know, City So could not do anything, could not hold up Chris Jones at all. That guy is just a monster. Moffey struggled. Uh, Connor McDermott had his issues. So football-wise, I understand where he's coming from. But I just don't think Bill's, – Bill's just used to playing the game a certain way for 20 years when he had Tom Brady, when they were successful, when they had a talented team, when they were you know pretty close to everybody else. You could manage a game that way. Everything's changed. And Bill has – this is another example of Bill not changing. I understand that you can't pass protect. But you're 3-10. and 10. You know, you have players that, you know, you – you know, put them in a tough spot. Let's see, you know, let's look to the future. What what might they bring down the road? If you put them into pressure situations now, how can that help down the road? I mean, I thought the at the four-minute mark backed up to the goal line was a complete joke. To me, that was the giveaway. That was the white flag. I understand you're backed up to the goal line. Bailey did check on the first two plays. So he checked into runs. Bailey did himself. Now, there are mechanisms, protections, as a play caller, as a head coach, that you can you just say, look, just run the play. Don't check, you know, whatever. But I understand doing a QB sneak to give yourself a little bit more room on the goal line. But if you are trying to win the game, the head coach before that series goes, okay, QB sneak, but have a second play ready. Where everybody everybody's there, it's a QB sneak, everybody's there. You can get on the line, run another play. They were just looking to run clock, uh, try to keep the score uh, reasonable, and that's the way I read it. And so him using, a, you know, say the injury excuse, Greg, how do you feel about that? I, I think it's, um, well, I think it's par for the course for him. Uh, you know, pretty much ever since Brady left, he's been excuse-making mode. But for him to say, you know, we, we're, we're down starters. First of all, you know, most of it just goes to his roster construction. That he put them in this scenario where, I mean, okay, you lost Cole Strange. He's an average guard. Big freaking deal. People lose average guards every every year or every week in the NFL. Uh, you know, you lost Connor McDermott. He's like a fifth offensive tackle. How big of a drop down is Vidarian? <laughs> Vidarian Lowe actually played well Thank when you. he came in. I Good mean, point. this is the guy who who constructed this, which, you know, didn't draft any tackles, relied on Trent Brown, relied on Riley Reef, relied on Connor McDermott. Like, oh, Big shock that these guys aren't available well, to you. Oh, no, Maz. We don't have Connor McDermott. We can't throw. We can't throw without that guy. Oh, I know. No, exactly. And, and go even beyond that. Like, you know, we're, we're, we had three injuries. All the guys we lost suck. But, you know, that, that's, a, that, that, that's kind of irrelevant. Uh, you know, so, again, it's just but, – but Greg's right. Greg's point is right. That this is – so now all of a sudden you're talking about guys you lost. And – Mike, I know it's, I'm hung up on this thing from early in the year still, too, which relates to injuries. Tony Romo was in here doing a game. It was like the fourth or fifth game of the year, and he starts talking about, well, the thing that's different now is they have injuries, and that's really hurting them. And I'm thinking, oh, I, can, I knew this was coming. So now they built a bad roster. The quarterback has regressed. He put two bums in his offensive coordinator last year who had never done it before, and now they're going to talk about the injuries. So Bill's just always got an excuse, always. So uh, there's that. There's that game part of it, Greg. What do you think the end game is for Belichick? Like, what, what if he's managing defeat? Why is he doing it? And you know, to what end? 
I think it's to make his resume look better uh, to, you know, other teams or even to the crafts. I mean, I still think there's a, I don't know, how would I term it? A sliver of hope that he is for him, that he is back next year. I mean, I don't think the odds are very good, but I don't completely rule it out because, you know, talking to people over the last couple of weeks, including people, you know, close to Belichick, they think that he's going to go into that meeting with Kraft, whether it happens before the end of the season, which I think it kind of needs to. I think the, at least the week of the final game, they need to start having a conversation. They can't just wait until Black, Black Monday to do this. And, and from what I've been told, everyone expects Belichick to have some sort of counteroffer, an offensive counteroffer ready for the Kraft when he walks in there. Now, What does that mean? Like, what do you mean by that? I. I don't know. Nobody knows what that, but, but Bill's not just going to go in there and be like, okay, Robert, what do you want to do? No, you know, Kraft's going to, the way it normally goes is Kraft says, okay, so what do you think? You know, what do you think about things? Where, where are we? Where are you? And I think Bill's going to have, whether it's, you know, preemptively giving up GM duties, but making sure he gets somebody that's his type of guy in there that he can still, you know, the illusion that they've done something different, but really it's Bill's show. He's going to have some sort of counter where it makes Kraft think and it puts Kraft in a corner. It puts Kraft in a box that either Kraft agrees to it or he's got to fire Belichick. Do you feel that Kraft is uh, going to be disappointed if he wants his elegant solution? Yes, 100%. Nobody thinks that's going to happen. They, they don't think that... Nobody around Bill thinks that that he's just going to be like, yeah, okay, let's, I'll let you trade me X, Y, and Z. I mean, what's the argument? What's the upside for Belichick that he allows Kraft to trade him? I mean, Kraft could say, well, Bill, we'll, uh, we'll be able to move your contract over there so you get the same money, you get the same power, and what have you. Belichick's going to be like, Robert, don't worry about it. I can do my own contract. Like, don't worry about my contract. You just... You know, make your decision. Are you going to are you going to keep me, or are you going to fire me? Like, it's it's going to happen one way or the other. Craig, do you uh, Gasper? Chris Gasper has said that he's becoming more. I, I don't want to use the word convinced, but he is leaning more to the side and thinking that Kraft ultimately may not have or will not have the stomach to push the button and send Bill out the door. I, do share the thought. I do. I do, and that's why I said, like, you know, I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Now, I don't think the odds are good. I would give it about, I don't know, 25 30% chance that Belichick is back, and I think a lot of it is what what Bill goes in there into that meeting with because he's not going to go in there empty-handed. He's going to have an idea. He's going to have a game plan just like he does for every game, every contract negotiation he's ever been with a player. He's going to have an end game in mind and he's going to put Kraft in a box and is Kraft going to stand his ground I think Jonathan would is Robert going to do that I don't know I don't think anybody knows do you have any sense of Bill's market does he have one I have been told that teams have definitely been sniffing around Bill now does that mean direct contact with him his uh his lawyer slash agent uh the Crafts I don't know but there have been already been teams actively you know I don't know, putting out feelers, you know, on Belichick. So, yes, I don't know how robust. I don't know how many teams, but I have been told that that has been going on. So, to me, that's the key to the whole thing. I've been saying this now for a couple weeks. What's Bill's leverage? 
you know, if 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 um, Robert wants an elegant solution, which is some sort of compromise, which is some sort of, you know, and all that all that give has to come on Belichick's side. All of it does. Meaning Bill Bill has the leverage, I think, unless there's something funky in the contract we don't know about. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Bill has to give up certain things. And the leverage point is going to be a big one. If Bill doesn't have anything out there, if he doesn't have anything that he really likes or that his market's soft, then Kraft is in a better position. If Bill's got something waiting for him on the other side or there's multiple teams, that, you know, makes it more likely that, you know, Bill has the leverage. So, I mean, like, that to me is the key to the whole thing, Greg. What is waiting out there for Belichick? And you just, again, based on your conversations, think there's going to be stuff out there waiting for Bill Belichick. Yeah, I think there are there are teams, at least a couple teams, that have been sniffing around him. And, you know, one thing, I, I haven't heard anybody bring this up, and, and I want to hear what you guys think of it. You know, a big deal was made of his contract extension that he got in the offseason. You know, was that more of an exercise? And, and I even think Dale Arnold, with his report, he said something about an end two years. game. He yep. said he said two years, and there was something about you know the end of days or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was uh, the, uh, right. Do you right. think no. Do you think that was given to Bill? Do you think there was a pro quo on you know that Bill had to give up something, or as far as power, uh, some sort of language in the contract that the craft said, okay, well you know you do this for us because we want this protection in case it doesn't go well this season then, you know, we're giving you, you know, the other year or something like that. Oh, I think everything's possible. Absolutely. And I wouldn't doubt that the Crafts came up with something creative and good for their standard, you know, by their uh, perspective on a contract. Yeah. No, no, I'm fully confident that them and their lawyers came up with a good contract or potentially came up with one that protected them. That wouldn't surprise me one bit, Greg. One bit. So all this has to play out. And this is what I think, and we'll just wrap this up. This is, Greg, how I would put into the context of the Ian Rappaport stuff from over the weekend. It's all sort of it's posturing, leveraging. It hasn't been fully meted out yet. And so the crafts, you know, it doesn't behoove the crafts for the report to be out there that they're going to fire them. It absolutely behooves them to have that officially close to their vest. You don't know what we're going to do. You know, don't think we're just going to hand this guy to you. Or we, you know, you're only going to give us a third. Well, we we may not get rid of him. So everybody keep it in their pants. And that's what I think. Partly what that was over the weekend with Rappaport. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I you know, I I thought it was much to do about nothing. I didn't think, you know, I don't expect NFL media to come out and say. The Patriots are done with Belichick with a month left in the season. I, that, that's just not gonna. That's just not gonna happen. That's not how these things work. And and uh, and so I, you know, I do think that there there's that element out there. They're just you know protecting themselves, and they, you know they want to keep their options open. I think everybody's keeping their options open as we go down the stretch here. Greg, don't, okay, don't, just quickly, don't get into too many particulars. But the kind of teams that are looking at Bill. Are they teams that want to rebuild, or the teams they think they can win? I, I don't know that. Okay, yep. never mind. So we got more with Greg Bedard. He's got some interesting stuff on Gerard Mayo as well, which we'll get to, and your phones, as promised, right after this. We're back with more Felger and Mads. What's happening in New England? What are you hearing? I know there were reports uh, earlier this week about whether a decision had been made, and the same reports also saying that decision could still change. What I know as we sit here right now, Susie, is there's not been that big conversation between Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick where they finalize exactly what is going to take place. It's hard to envision a world 
as Al Michaels referenced on a broadcast a couple of weeks ago, where Robert Kraft flat out fires Bill Belichick. So could you be in a scenario where there is a trade? Could there potentially even be a reassignment, which seems less likely because by all indications, Bill Belichick wants to continue to coach, wants to continue to pursue records. They've got three weeks to figure it out. You would think with a lot of coaches, if you were in this spot, you would make decisions and make an announcement or get the news out and let it be the, the great goodbye tour. Bill Belichick is also not somebody who probably is apt to embrace uh, a scenario like that. By all indications, Bill Belichick wants to continue to coach. So if, in fact, the Crafts make the decision that they're going separate ways, there's different ways this could play out beyond the normal uh, Black Monday firing. Okay. Tom Palisaro, NFL Media, on, I think, uh, the Rich Eisen podcast with his wife, Susie. Uh, and the thing of that, that interests me there, Greg, is that they haven't had the big conversation yet. That, yep. That's true. That wouldn't surprise me one bit. You know, that Bill's so insular and so uh, you know, guarded even with Kraft and uh, you know, paranoid and sick, you know, all, the whole Belichick package. It wouldn't surprise me one bit that they haven't had the conversation yet. They're going to wait for after the season like they always have, and they're just sort of, they just pass each other in the halls. Like, that wouldn't surprise me one bit. It's also a little dysfunctional. And also, I'll say this. Here's my question. Should they have it? Should they come to a decision? And should that last week here be an appreciation for Bill Belichick and send him out with some good vibes? Because let's face it, as I mentioned yesterday, and I'm going to mention more and more, those were 24 good years on balance. And so should they do that? Should they figure this out a week before the season and give them the proper send-off? In my opinion, no. Yeah, And <laughs> mostly... Mostly because I'm coming at this from, you know, Bill Belichick's side. Because really you're talking about honoring him and his accomplishments, which should definitely happen. And, you know, just an unbelievable run here. But, you know, first of all, shouldn't wouldn't you honor him by just letting him coach out the season like he's always done, you know, for, you know, 20-plus years? And the other part of it is Bill's going to have no interest in – in that, in some sort of final send off, what you're going to give him a, you know, a rocking chair. I don't know. You're going to honor him before <laughs> the game. Like, I mean, like he is going to have no interest in that whatsoever. Like it, that's just not him. So to me, it's not even in the realm of possibility. So, okay. Yes, ma'am. No, I'm sorry. I didn't know if you were looking for two answers or one. If you're looking for one, keep going. Go. No. So look, my answer, I, I my answer is no. And I'll tell you why. I don't think the time is right for an appreciation. The the team is going to be, you know, 3 and 14, 4 and 13, whatever it's going to come in at, you know, for the entire season. If you try to do some sort of appreciation, I think there's a chance that some of the people in the crowd are going to boo his ass. Oh yeah. So I I just don't think the timing is right. I I think the 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 idea of the gesture is good. Like I I totally get what you're saying and I I generally agree with the sentiment. I just don't think it's going to go off the way it should. Okay, your thoughts on everything, as promised. 617-779-0985. Anthony and uh, Natick, lead us off. Hey, Mike, uh, and guys, just I'm on, the, I'm on the get rid of Belichick thing. I think it's time for a fresh start. But I was just curious, when he goes into that meeting, uh, Greg, let's, now this is a very high unlikely, but let's say he comes in with a change of heart and he's willing to relinquish, relinquish control of the GM and he's just willing to be a football coach, and he really meant it. 
It wasn't, you know, maniacal or malicious. Would you be up for something like that? Okay. Uh, great question, Anthony. I, here's, here's the sort of the discussion about that. Um, number one, if I'm, if I'm Robert Kraft and I'm going to entertain this, then uh, it needs to be somebody completely from outside the family. No ties to Belichick. Nothing. Somebody that's not going to look at him and be like, that guy gave me my start. You know, I'm going to defer to him. You know, whatever. And just be a Bill puppet. Like, you can't, you can't, even even some of these quote-unquote strong guys uh, th- that you might think of, whether it's Pioli or Dimitrov or, say, John Robinson, like, I just, they're going to defer to Bill. So, to me, that doesn't work. But the shotgun marriage, to me, also doesn't work. So, say you bring in, I don't know, I, I can't even think of somebody right now. But anyways, somebody like a John Lynch guy or, or whoever who is going to pick the players, okay? Because really, what the rebuild of the Patriots is not really about the X's and O's coaching. It's a little bit about that. Really, it's about talent. Like, the focus needs to be – like, the, the the head coach to me is sort of immaterial. To me, to get the Patriots back to where they're going – it has to be personnel-driven. That's the most important hire to me. How are they going to do personnel because of where it's gotten to at this point? And so it, so you bring in somebody to come in and pick the players. Say, we're going to restock. We're going to get blue chippers, all this, okay? And say he picks a six foot, 235-pound linebacker. Bill's never going to put him on the field. He's right. going to relegate him to special teams. He's going to be like, I didn't want this guy. I'm going to put him in my doghouse. It's going to be like Pete Carroll, Bobby Greer, like on steroids. It's just not workable. So to me, I don't see a scenario where for the betterment of the Patriots and also for Bill Belichick to be successful, that bringing in a new, just a new GM works out for the Patriots at the end of the day. Maz, I've been talking about this for a while. You draft Marvin Harrison Jr., this receiver, Does he all, block? World, all world prospect. Let's say the first couple of weeks, he's not so good at blocking and he puts the ball on the ground. Yep. Does he get pop Douglas? Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, so you could pick the guy. Is Bill the right guy to coach the guys that you're going to be drafting in this day and age? I'm done with Bill on that front too. So it doesn't work on a lot of levels. Never mind, Maz, as we've discussed, what Bill would do to the guy behind the scenes and the undermining and, you know, again, paranoia and. It just, you, you, what, Bill all of a sudden is going to turn around and play nice with someone that Robert hired above him? Any chance of that? No, zero, no. And, in fact, I would say that the, the, the strength of Bill's personality when you had Brady is that one man was in charge. They needed clear and decisive order because they had the pieces in place. So there was no way to disrupt the hierarchy and the structure from within. Good. Now they're in a totally different spot. Bill's presence would destroy that. So, you know, me, no, he's got to go. He's got to go. You can't half it with him. No way. Jesse in California. Go ahead, Jesse. Let me get this out, man. Like, if you don't cut bait with Bill Belichick now, you might as well just keep him for the next three to five years because if he's going to go and make all the decisions on all these top-of-the-round draft picks and $100 million in cap space, you're pretty much handcuffing anybody that comes after him in the head coach or the front office. If what are you, you have, talking if you're about? You're going to cut bait. You need to cut bait now. Yeah, well, they're going to do that. Yes, that's what it is. They're not going to wait three. It's either now or never. It's. I'm not sure what your point is. Do you think? I mean, in his point world, is you only get one chance to remake this franchise right now, and it's now. Yeah. You can't. You can't put it off. Like you can't say, "All right, we'll give Bill one more shot." No, because the great draft picks, 
all the cap space, it's all going to be gone. So that I think that was his point. I mean, I think his point was what you just said, Mike. It's now or never. Yeah. Yeah, that's all. I mean, what, I, I, in, in what, on what planet, in what scenario, does Robert Kraft let Bill Belichick and Matt Groh run the draft board next year? Like, how, how is that? That, that is a, to me, that is a physical impossibility. Not going to happen. You would think, yes. And so then if there's some sort of half measure, we, as we've just discussed, not going to work. Jason on the Cape. Go ahead, Jason. How you doing, guys? Hey, uh, good, Jason. Go I, ahead. I, I, they, there is no question that Kraft is behind us. Kraft doesn't like to spend money. Everybody tries to say he, he'll spend the money. No, no, no. Bill is doing exactly what Robert wants him to do, and that's why this scenario is getting uncomfortable because it okay. worked for so long when you had Brady paying, playing for $9 million when he was worth 50 I don't believe that, Jason. I think Kraft is part of the problem, but we've gone over and over this. I mean, it's a perfect marriage. Bill doesn't want to spend Robert Kraft's money any more than Robert wants to spend. <laughs> so they come from the same place. And it's led to this, and, and Brady gave them the false sense of security that they could get away with it, and all of you, too. Got all of you to believe it, too. All of you have been brainwashed into thinking that any team out there that spends money is stupid. And you did it for 20 years. You parroted that crap for 20 years. And as, as we've all come to learn, Brady let these guys get away with it. And hopefully there, there's a big attitude change on that going forward as well. They're going to need it. We have three up, three down with Greg from the game. He's, he Again, yeoman's work, hazard pay. He uh, delved into the game film. So we'll give you three up, three down from the Kansas City game. We will also continue with your phone calls. Couple open lines at 617-779-0985. First, an update. Every day my employees get scam emails. I wanted to protect my business and clients, so I checked out CISA's Secure Our World. They've got four simple ways we can protect our businesses from online threats. Learn more at cisa.gov forward slash secure our world. Michael Felger. Real good talk on grass earlier that way. Don't be afraid to do that on your own time. Tony Maserati. I don't remember Brady squeezing anybody's great. Felger and Maz on the Sports Hub. And now it's time for three up. Touchdown, Patriots! Two big throws on this drive by Mac Jones, your quarterback. What a throw on the skinny. I'll take more of this, please. Three down. Put a jacket on him. He don't want to be out here. Sit him down. With Greg Bedard from bostonsportsjournal.com. Three up. I know you're very results-oriented. I get that. Three down. It's a fail all around. Fail, fail, fail. On Belger and Mass on 98.5, the Sports Hub. And it is that time for three up, three down with Greg Bedard. It's uh, presented by Tullamore Do Irish Whiskey. Enjoy the game with the original triple distilled, triple blended, and triple cask matured Tullamore Dew Irish Whiskey. Because when it's game time, it's Tully time. Please drink responsibly. Three up, three down from the Chiefs game. Let's do them all at once, and then we'll get back to your phone. So give me your three up all at once, Greg. One, two, three. Hunter Henry, uh, he, he was tremendous in the first half. He, he, got, he got dinged up early, but, but kept going with it before, you know, Zappy threw that hospital ball and, and got him, you know, hurt later in the game. Christian Barmore. He's just been – he's been by far their best player. Uh, he, he has taken a huge step this year. Every week he's in my three up. Uh, and Anthony Jennings, I thought, again, was uh, outstanding on the edge. Uh, did a really nice job. Barmore, Barmore yep. Henry, whom uh, Zappi tried to kill twice, not once. Yeah. And uh, I actually went with Devontae Parker, whom I typically despise. But all things considered, I thought he was pretty good in this game. Who's the team MVP this year so far? 
Ooh, uh, is it Barmore? I I I I said that I set that up to I, give me I more think, Barmore. You know, yeah, I'm just uh, you know Barmore would be there. I would think David Andrews would be there. Peppers, Awenu possibly Peppers. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Peppers is a good player, emotional, you know, all that stuff. But you know, at the end of the day, is he really a difference maker for nope. this team, especially against the better offenses? <laughs> nope. And when speed and space is an issue, no. He's not a pass game player. Okay, three down, all at once, please. Uh, City So, even though you could put uh, pretty much anybody among Antonio Maffi, City So, Cole Strange, and Connor McDermott on this list. They were they were awful. City So was horrendous in this game. Uh, Chris Jones basically just used and abused him the entire game. I, look, it's, it's a tough spot for a, lo- a rookie, especially an undersized guy. Chris Jones is just a man, so that, that was not a, a winning case. Uh, Kyle Duggar. I, I thought was absolutely horrendous in this game. And it was, to me, it was one of two things. Either this is, a, it, this exposes him against a team that uh, has plays in space, more of a pass game. You know, he's not, he doesn't get a chance to get closer to the line of scrimmage or he's starting to check out and worried about free agency and not wanting to get hurt. I mean, I think it's, I think it's the, the former, um, but he was he was horrendous in this game, and then also Alex Austin, um, not an NFL player, shouldn't be out there, just not good. And you know, I'm so glad that uh, Sean Wade was inactive in this game. I mean, especially with what was going on with J.C. Jackson, the elusive, rarely seen, unidentifiable Alex Austin makes a list. He heard Again. You, he heard you didn't know who he was the week before you had never heard of him, so he made sure you knew <laughs> yes. this week. No, I noticed him this week. Yep. All right, uh, Maz, who do you got for three down? Oh, not only does he make the list, he's number one on mine. <laughs> Alex Austin, the $6 million bum. We're crying out loud. No $6 million. One, No one will get that reference. No. No, Steve no, Austin was a $6 million oh. man. Okay. It's like yeah, one yeah. of my pop culture references exactly. from 1977. Yeah. yeah. We can get into the bionic. Lee Majors. We can get into the bionic woman later. Uh, Connor McDermott, left tackle. He sucked in this game. That was a nice holding penalty, as you said. Held two guys on the same play, or held twice on the same play. And Chad Ryland on a desert island. He sucks. I think that's what they should do. They should drop him in the ocean somewhere and never go pick him up. Okay, nowhere does Bailey Zappi land on either list. Greg, your thoughts on Bailey Zappi, and what did you make of his touchdown pass to Hunter Henry? The first one, the one that stood. So, um, good throw. I heard you guys talking about this. Yesterday. It was, has, new, it was a bad throw. throw. So, it could have been better. Ah, thank of course, you. it could have been better. It, it almost got deflected. I mean, oh, it was good. Thank it was you. good. It was good. It I was, mean, it could have been better. It could have been easier. It was fine. And he chanced a pass breakup. But, you know, it was good. The play in general was really good. I thought he was outstanding in the first half. Um, you know, he, he, I had him for, let's see. Uh, eight, eight plus two minus in the first half. Second half was zero plus five and a half minus plays. And this just, this just goes to, this is the way he's been. I mean, even think back to last year, the Chicago game that he came into, he comes in, throws two touchdown passes before halftime. Second half, he's horrible. These guys, I think to me, it looks like they underestimate him a little bit and he surprises them. Then they make changes and he has he has no he has no sort of counter. He doesn't know how to counter, and he's just exposes how limited he is. Anthony, well, no, I was I told you that was not a great throw. That, 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 I'm going back to that. It was not a great throw. It, it should have been an easy throw. 
how many touchdown passes as a team do they have? Like 14. Tw- 12? Four, 14. 14 touchdowns, 16 picks. I looked it up today. Okay, so I just guessed 12. I was trying to go low to prove a point. No, no, that's wrong with it. So they've only done that 14 times all year, Maz, and you're going to quibble? Yep. Oh, my God. I gave him a plus on that play. So you, you know. again, Greg, you'll find the, the, the stocking caps at Maz. He, he got hit in the head uh, with a shovel. Yep. So he's wearing these, uh, these, these caps. And it's, it's it's throwing some wacky opinions into his yeah, head. Yeah, it's not holding his brain in it's his nice head. I also look. I also gave uh, Zappy a plus for the uh, the touchdown that was wiped away. That was an outstanding play. Now great it was play. holding, but it was a great play, great throw, and you know he doesn't know that there's going to be a penalty. So that was also a plus for me. You have a problem with that one, Maz? No, that was a good play. Okay, too bad. It I'm just curious, count. Greg. You 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 have your notes in front of you, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. You had Zappy for five and a half minus plays in the second half. What's the half? I'm just So curious. the half is the interception. I give a little bit more weight to the interception. What? What do you well, mean, mean what? You, you give him one and a half. One and a half instead of just right. minus oh. one. Oh. Yeah. Right. Well, right. It was that. Two. Yeah, right. Okay. I, I mean, it. you could, but that's what I do. <laughs> minus one and a half. If it's egregious, you tack on a half point. Yep. Oh, I Got love it. that. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I got to start doing that. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> By the uh, way, that, by the way, Mike, have yeah. you seen? So I was just telling Maz, Zappy splits in his career. First half, he has a hundred and six rating, uh, five sacks. Second half, he has a sixty nine rating, fourteen sacks. And when he's leading, he has a hundred and twelve rating, has taken three sacks. When he is trailing, sixty nine rating, taken thirteen sacks. So that, there's something there. I mean, that's interesting. Right, you know, the teams take him lightly. I think that's a fair, that's a fair thing. He's fake, he, he, fake player. That, and he's he's one of those guys that when everything is on script and everything is is good and on schedule, he's good. He, he's a he's a good player, can make the plays. But as soon as trailing, the, you know, the things get out of whack a little bit, he gets exposed for what he is, which is sure. a middling, you know, backup quarterback. Right, not a high end guy. But that first part makes sense. It's sort of like I think what the mistake the team made with him, a lot of you m- made with him, <laughs> that you you take a look at him. This guy's nothing. This guy sucks. This guy's nothing. Then he gets in a game. And he's got a, he's got a little something. Yeah, I think you know you should put Zappy in the first half and then Mac in the second half. Ooh, now we're onto something. <laughs> All right, I, I promise. Back to what Greg's got on Gerard Mayo. It's fascinating. Uh, he reported it late last week. We'll flush it out with him and your calls again. I promise. Uh, long commercial free segment is next. At ShopRites, we have locked in your holiday favorites at last year's prices, so you can save big. This week, cook spiral-sliced smoked ham is only $1.49 per pound when you shop with your Price Plus card. And you can get wild-caught lobster tails at the locked-in price of just $6.99 each with your Price Plus card. Check out locked-in prices at ShopRite and check out Happy. Offers exclude Brooklyn, Bronx, and Queens locations. Team. Ready or not, it's more Felger and Mass on 98.5 The Sports Hub. Look, you have done a lot of reporting on this for us, Dan. Is it the expectation of the people you were talking to and the people around the league that this will be Bill Belichick's final month as the coach of the New England Patriots? Yes, that's the expectation. Obviously, anything can happen, and Robert Kraft can make any decision. It's hard to predict what ultimately the billionaire owner will decide to do in the end. But the expectation and the feeling around that team has been for a while that this is probably headed for a change. I mean, whether it's right or not, I, that, that's the sense that I'm getting from the reporting I'm doing. And I think Bill Belichick is obviously certainly whether he wants to admit it or not. And look, what he's saying tracks. Like, talk to people in that building and say, look, he is, he's still week to week. He's still focused. He's still, but 
I think there's certainly some some signs that maybe he he's aware of that as well. Dan Graziano on Get Up this morning. Okay, more th- just you know giving voice to the thought that the, the thought is he's done, and I would agree with that concurrently. So what's next? Uh, I'm among those who assume Gerard Mayo has basically, in, for all intents and purposes, been promised the job, and will be getting the job. Uh, now, I'm not telling you that's the right thing to do or what they should do or that you should be excited about it, but that's just what I think they will do. On that front, uh, Greg, what have you come to learn about Gerard Mayo as a successor? A couple things. Um, number one, I think the consensus in the building is that Gerard Mayo will be a head coach uh, in the league at some point. I would say universally, everybody thinks this is too soon. That this wasn't the plan. That the, you know they inked Gerard to. I think I understand it's a, it was a two year contract, basically linked up with Bill, and that you know a you know a year from now or two years from now, what have you. Once Bill moved on, then Gerard you know might have been ready. We saw him step up. He had a lot more duties and sort of personnel and free agent meetings and things like that this year. But the consensus that, you know, the people that I've spoken to, multiple people in the building, they believe that this is too soon. Um, Also, that, and I don't, this doesn't necessarily mean anything in terms of what kind of coach he's going to be, whether he should not get the job. All I'm telling you is that Gerard Mayo has rubbed at least some people in the building. I'm sure not everybody. I don't even know if it's a majority. Have rubbed some people the wrong way with his sort of attitude this year going back into the offseason um, in terms of, you know, how he conducted himself, how, you know, and maybe this is just the perception of people who are jealous, who want somebody else to be the head coach, but just, you know, almost a, a source, a sense of entitlement that his his spot is secure and no matter what is happening around him, even with a crappy losing team, it doesn't affect him in any way. So, that's what I've been told. I am hundred uh, percent confident in that. This is from multiple people in the organization over multiple days, even since my initial report came out, subsequent conversations, you know, some people have pushed back on it, um, you know, lightly. Um, but I do think at the, at the very least, you could say that he has rubbed some people the wrong way in the building. And, and, you know, some people quite frankly, aren't the biggest Gerard Mayo fans in the building. So th- again, is that a lot of people, is that a few people, I can't tell you. I'm just giving you what I've been told. Maz, do you have a thought? Sorry. Yeah, no, I, I would just say quickly, I, I'm not surprised that it's not 100% in the building. Nothing's ever 100%. And I can totally understand why there would be some level of criticism, resentment, call it whatever you want, that Mayo would have some sort of inside mm-hmm. track. Uh, but look, I, I, I mean... I think based on everything we know about Mayo during his playing career, during his coaching career, just watching how he acts, which honestly, frankly, I put as much stock in as anything because like the actions always mean more to me than the words. He feels like a pretty legit upstanding guy to me. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, from a character standpoint, I don't think there's an issue there. I'm just giving you my two cents, but he hasn't exactly been coaching forever. No. So the idea that he doesn't have experience, I think, is a legitimate concern. So I think the Crafts, if they're having second thoughts on Mayo, they're having second thoughts on the whole situation. And, and by that I mean is I think their plan, their thought was when they, again, quote-unquote promised Gerard the job, was that Bill gets two years, 
he'll set the record in those two years. And it's not like, you know, we're expecting Super Bowls here, but we're not going to bottom out. We're going to, and these are the, this is the crafts talking. We're going to be even a little bit better than people think. Maybe a playoff team. Bill's going to set the record, and then we'll hand it off to Gerard Mayo. And at that point, everyone's going to feel good about it. I'm, not everyone. Most people are going to feel good about it because Bill will have ended on something of a high note, and everyone or most people will still feel reasonably good enough about the program for it to be a clean transition from Belichick to Mayo, and that's sort of the idea. What happened in the interim and what got in the way of that was 3-14 and 14 and going to the bottom of the league and it looking as bad as it's looked and uh, Belichick completely ruining the quarterback and then probably having to start over at that spot and having to draft a guy. And now fans getting really antsy, not just sort of where Belichick before was debatable. Now it's antsy, and now we have to satisfy our fans and our sponsors And does Gerard Mayo fit that bill? From a pure PR standpoint, does going from Belichick to Mayo this year satisfy the fan base? And I think the answer there is a resounding no. And that's not speaking to his Mayo's qualifications or how good he would be. I'm just talking about public perception and how that would play with the fans. Not good enough. Belichick to Mayo, not good enough. I completely agree with you, Mike. And, and, you know, I've been and I've been even asking this of people: What is the case for Gerard Mayo to be the next Patriots head coach? Like, what? I I have a hard time coming up with things. Like, people are just saying it that he have said it so often that they I don't know. It's just come into being. But what's the argument? Especially when you look back at the Crafts' uh, history, they're two coaching hires: Bill Part, uh, Bill, uh, excuse me, Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick, both. Highly successful defensive coordinators with multiple teams, both had head coaching experience, and those those were their previous two hires to ended up being Hall of Fame coaches. Now all of a sudden they're going to go from that to a neophyte to basically this guy hasn't even coached that long. He doesn't even run his own unit. Like I just don't understand what is the case that says Gerard Mayo's to be the guy. And Mike, to further your point, so you're going to tell me that. Basically, you're going to keep the status quo. You're just going to swap out Bill Belichick for Gerard Mayo. And, you know, some, I guess you're going to talk about collaboration and, uh, you know, a, a GM. Is it going to be Mac Rowe? Like, who's going to make personal? The, the GM and the coach are going to both report to me. That's going to be the sea change. If it's just, you're basically just swapping out Bill Belichick for Gerard Mayo. I'm not interested in that. I'd rather keep Bill in that circumstance. So you're saying that uh, so Mayo doesn't fit the profile of the previous hires, Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick. Who does? Who does fit in, that profile? In my mind, is Mike Rabel. I think it, it. He just he hits everything from you know different different uh, opportunities. You have the the player type thing, but you know to me a successful head coach. And you can get into the weeds on what's happened in Tennessee and how he's handled the quarterback and all that stuff and his and his views on offense and things like that. You can do that. But to me from watching, there's no question in my mind that Mike Vrabel is an excellent head coach. He has ex- various levels of experience in coaching as a head coach. I think he's terrific and to me, he more fits the profile of what the Crafts are looking for. And again, so you're talking football. 
I'm just going to go from the, sort of the the PR thing, the brand, the selling of the franchise. Vrabel's a much better sell. It's still not my guy. I want an offensive guy. But if they're going to blow Belichick out of here and it's hit rock bottom and Mayo's the answer, it's like that's just that's underwhelming. And that's all due respect to Gerard Mayo. I'm just talking about the resume. The resume's not beefy enough for fans to get excited about. And he's too closely attached to Belichick. And I think this is what Kraft is probably rethinking, you know, because he doesn't just have to reset the football team. He's got to re-energize the fan base. And he's got to – so I think this is going to be a factor. And if there's any second-guessing going on with Mayo, it's that. It's that. Because, I mean, as a football coach, they expect him to be ready next year but not this year. I mean, he's, he's, it's going to be the same level of readiness, whether he takes over this from a pure football standpoint, it doesn't matter whether it's this offseason or next offseason. PR-wise, though, big gap. Big, big gap between taking over for Belichick and a you know potential playoff team with Bill having set the all-time record to taking over a three-win team that has to start all over from the ground up. I'm going to hand it over to a first-year guy who hasn't even called his own defense, never mind run a football team. That's a really hard sell. And I think that's where, where Kraft is today on that. He's got to be thinking about that hard. All right, there's that. I know. I keep promising you this, but I'm going to live up to it. Your calls. For a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. B-Pod Studios. The Felger Mass Podcast is presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Now, the show you'll be talking about. That was not me having an on. In therapy. Socks! Socks, socks, stupid socks. It's Felger and Mass, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook on 98.5 The Sports Hub. I was talking to somebody in the league who I trust about the Chargers, and they said, you know, I'm not sure Bill would tolerate kids in the front office. Like, it just wouldn't work. And that's the way the Spanoses work. Um, Washington's got a lot of money, and they do have... They do have um, weapons, which he's not great at drafting, but they don't have the quarterback. He's got a lot of property in Nantucket. He's not good in the front office. He can't do a parcels and go down to Miami, hire his coach, and do the drafting. That's not what Bill does. Like that's that was parcels or Jimmy. I I thought Jimmy Johnson would always come back and like do a front office because Jimmy was such a great personnel guy. I always feel I always felt Jimmy would say, "I want a coach. I want a life." Give me four or five million bucks and I'll run the front office. Six million bucks. He did. You wanted to fish and I get it. But I I can see Belichick just not coaching. Do you, can you? 
No, because I envision him as like an 83 year old coaching high school team, (laughs) you know, coaching the kickers and the punters. That was Colin Coward on his podcast with you. said it was John Collins, uh, Jimmy Stewart. Uh, Some somebody named uh, John Niklinoff. Oh, John. Okay. Middlecoff. Yeah, Middlecoff. He used to work in the NFL, I think. Okay, I, I just want to get it right. John Middlecoff and uh, Colin Coward there. Colin says he can see Bill just kicking himself upstairs. Can anyone in the room here see that? No, no, nope. no. Murray, go ahead. Why, why do you say no? no? I just think he's still got juice to coach. You can tell that he still enjoys that part of it. And if you're one of these owners, like, why would you want to have, have him be solely like the personnel guy? It just doesn't add up considering how bad he's been at that part of the job for the last, like, three or four years. And plus, I don't think he'd tolerate all the L.A. freaks in the front office. <laughs> yes. Which we'll get to later. There's another take from that podcast. Oh, uh, yeah, Bill's totally against nepotism. Well, I was going to yeah, say, right. again, we'll, we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll play that cut. Watch this Bill one would, here with the purple hair, he'd be saying. <laughs> Bill would have a problem with all the Spanos kids running around because, as Greg said, Bill doesn't believe in nepotism in the NFL. But, again, we'll get to that. All right, back to your phones. RJ in West Warwick. What do you got, RJ? RJ! Okay, RJ's comment line says Belichick. Hey, was... Here I am. Oh, Go. You know, here I am. Go. Oh, uh, you know, uh, you actually told me sleeping. Um, uh, my call was about um, uh, uh, Bill Parcells. Remember when Bill Parcells ran the team? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, and um, he left because um, the owner wouldn't let him shop for the groceries. Remember? Yes, yes RJ. What's your point? And, and uh, oh, my point was, uh, you know what, uh, Belichick. Was left with a Super Bowl contending team by Parcells. The only thing missing was the quarterback. And who would know that, you know, what Brady would uh, become or what he became? Okay, so what's your point? Bill's not that good? No, I know. Okay, all right. I, what, what was the point of your call? The history lesson? Just look at We got it. Talk, we know the history. <laughs> nah, he came to the phone 30 seconds late and then you had no take. <laughs> because he was half asleep. <laughs> Here's Christian in Foxborough. Go ahead, Christian. Hey, what's up? Hey, guys. Hey, if, uh, if Bill's going to go, can we take uh, Jelani Tavai with him? Uh, Maz or Murray, I, I mean, as past fans, I don't know, you know, when, when he lateraled that, that, I don't know if that pissed you off as much as I did. I mean, hasn't this team learned to, you know, not lateral in critical situations? Uh, all right, have a good one, guys. Okay. Jelani Tavai is, I think, one of the few guys that I feel decent about. I don't know about you. I was a stupid lateral, but, Greg, you tell me your thoughts on Tavai. Jelani Tavai is a good, solid NFL you know, big linebacker against the run. I would love him to be like a third or fourth linebacker on my team, but that he's one of the top two on yours just further goes to show like how average the personnel and how average this defense is. Yeah, but I also look at him as like the shining example of that Bill can still coach. Like he took a guy that kind of sucked and that should just be a special teamer and kind of turned into a player. He's like Kyle Van Noy now, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I don't doubt Bill's ability to coach. I don't. I just... He has no clue about offense, and he has no clue about personnel. Well, I doubt Bill's ability to coach everything. That thing you just said, can I take a tweener, linebacker, special teamer, role player with another team, mm-hmm. put him into my system, and then three years later, because let's remember, as I, like, I got here yesterday, yeah, right. no, you know, three years into the thing, can I, can I get him to play better than people think? Yeah, he can do that. Who gives a rat's ass about that? That's what I want my head coach to do is to find a reserve linebacker on another team, buy him on the cheap, 
Put him in my system for three effing years, and then three effing years later, he plays a little bit better than people think. Well, like, he's a wee! Like, who, oh, who cares about that? I mean, someone can figure out how to pass the football. But that being said, I like Tavai, and I think he's sneaky okay in the passing game. I feel like he gets his hands on a bunch of... He, he fills that deep zone better than you would think. He's he very does. good he get, in his drops. He yeah, he does. Lanes. He yep. gets in a passing lanes. He totally does. He's one of the good things about the team. But again, if that's what you're hanging your hat on, pull Lee's Jelani Tavai. Chuck in Ohio, go. Chuck in Ohio, go. Okay, we're taking phones. Wow, you people suck. Derek and Foxborough, go. Don't suck. Uh, yeah, you know, not that the game mattered in, in the grand scheme of things, but just more evidence that Bill's lost. It's just the situational football. You know, they're up 10-7 to 7 with five minutes to go in the half. You know, they got the Chiefs on a third and nine from their own 25, and they give up a 30-yard bomb to Watson. I think it was Jones who got completely toasted on the play. Then later in the drive, they got another third and long. They give up another 20-yard pass to Rice. It's like, I know it's Mahomes, but can you dial something up? I mean, if they got into the half up 10-7, now it's a completely different game. Okay, understood. Those third downs killed them. But you said it, Derek. We are talking on a couple of those. It was covered in Mahomes, you know, created a second, a second playoff platform kind of thing. It's I don't know. I I think that Greg, you tell me. Should you feel good about the defense this year in general and in that game? If you want to factor in the Judon and Christian Gonzalez injury, yes. But in general, where they are, no. I was just telling these guys the Patriots defense is now 14th in DVOA. Um, they they are middle of the road on defense. They don't create a, a a ton of turnovers unless they're you know unforced errors like Kadarius Tony just dropping the ball to you. Um, I think that you know those plays that he talked about, uh, we, and we saw this a lot. There was a lot of confusion on the Patriots defense on where to line up, who they're going with. I thought the Chiefs, I thought the Chiefs offensive coaches uh, pants the Patriots defensive coaches in this game. So. You, you, so you're with Derek and Foxborough. You're with the caller. Yeah. I mean, again, the coaches. So wait a minute. Those plays where Patrick Mahomes goes back on his fifth step or seventh step, it's covered, and then he dances around this guy, dances around that guy, pauses in the middle of the pocket, and then finds someone wide open in the middle of the field like eight seconds into the play. That's the offensive coach of Kansas City beating the defensive coach of New England? i those two players. I mean, you know, Jonathan Jones – uh, was turned around, and they were trying to figure out who they were covering. And by the time he realized the ball was snapped, he was five steps behind and got burned. And on the other one, Kyle Duggar was terrible on it. I didn't like Steve Belichick's call on that one. And they, they, the guy was wide open in the middle of the field. That it, Mahomes, it, in this game, he took a while to find guys who were open. This has been something that's going on with them all year is that he's not throwing in rhythm of the offense. Some of it has to do with his lack of weapons. Some of it is just he falls into this where he just, you know, he improvises instead of staying on schedule. Ken and Haverhill, what do you got for us, Ken? Yeah, just uh, two comments. I'll hang up and listen. Uh, number one, if, if Jim Harbaugh is going to make a uh, come back to the NFL, I'd love to have him. I mean, the buzz that would be here around this guy, you know, he's been to a Super Bowl. You know, I think he's a winner. And I think he'd be great here. The other one is we got to start with the greatest coach in the history of the game. He's coached over 170 games without Brady, an enormous sample size. That's the equivalent hey, Ken. of 10 NFL Ken. seasons, well below 500. Kenneth, what has he done without him? Not Can I ask you something? Can I ask you something, Ken? Yeah. 
Did he do a good job in these 24 years? No, absolutely. Okay. Thank you. You wanted to tell me he's not the greatest of all time? You'd put Vince Lombardi ahead of him? Or, I don't know, who do you got up there? Bill Walsh ahead of him? Fine. I'll allow that. That's not a crazy thing to say. No problem. I just, Greg, I'm sort of getting on this thing where it's like, Bill now sucked. You know, he sucked for these 24 years, and it was all Brady, and Brady won in spite of Bill Belichick, and Bill Belichick, you know, and that to me, I just, people going way too far with that thing. Oh, I I completely agree. I think that in terms of him understanding the opponent, what it takes to win that game, the game plans, you know, all the way around what they need to do, I don't think there's anybody better than him in terms of, you know, all the phases of the game. I mean, you know, and you can make – You could make a case just like a lot of people do that. You know, look at his record without Brady. I mean, first of all, Cleveland had to be rebuilt, um, you know, to where they were going. And so that that affected his record there. The Patriots, you know, not so much. But to me, you know, the way they've fallen off in New England, it's all about personnel. It's not about the coaching. It's about uh, well, Bill's personnel and, and attitude towards offense and, and what you need to do on that side of the ball. Okay. I don't totally agree with that, that last part, because I think that his defense is a little antiquated. And if he has no touch on offense, how could I say that's all personnel? But, 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 so I, and I think it is, it is fair to go to Cleveland. It is fair to look at the Patriots before Brady and after Brady and combine it with Cleveland. That's fair. I don't have a problem with that. But just don't tell me that that time in between that he sucked too. Mm-hmm. Uh, give me a break. Like once he got the quarterback and that fell into his lap, he did well with it. He did very well with it. But if you want to take Cleveland and post Brady and knock him down, take him from one to three, take him from one to four, that's fine. That's, that's, that's not unreasonable. But if you want to tell me the guy sucks or he sucked here for 25 years, that's, that's getting stupid. And I just feel like I'm hearing that more and more. John and Waltham, go, John. I don't want Vrabel as a coach. He coaches too much like Belichick, all the running, uh, mediocre quarterback. He stuck with him too long. And he punted with a minute and 40 left in a tie game in overtime on Sunday. Okay, your thoughts on that. Maz, what are your thoughts on Vrabel in terms of that? Like, There's a little too much Belichick in how he coaches. Well, so I like Vrabel. I mean, I think given the, the options that are out there, he's one of the better ones. And honestly, I've told you the previous caller also brought up Harbaugh's name. My personal feeling on Harbaugh's, I think they're a bad fit for him right now. Because he feels like a guy to bring in more to a you know a, a, a playoff ready kind of team. I don't know how much patience Harbaugh is going to have for the rebuild. But if you're telling me, Mike, it's Mayo or Vrabel, I'm taking Vrabel, of course. I just think you know with Vrabel, uh, you know, watching him over the years, I think he is. Yes, there's a lot of Belichick in him, and I understand that. But you know, he he never had personnel control. He got saddled with you know, Ryan Tannehill or whoever was drafted. You know, people like to say he won a power struggle in Tennessee. He did not because he didn't get to pick the personnel guy in Rand Carthon who drafted Will Levis. And then his other big problem was he is one of those typical defensive head coaches, which this is what I I warn about all the time, is that as soon as they get a good head uh, offensive coordinator, they're gone. And you have to keep replacing those guys, and it sets the quarterbacks back, whether it's, you know, Mariota or Tannehill or, you know, Levis. I I think that it could work better here as long as they get the right personnel guy. And also, if Billy O'Brien is a guy who is here for the long term, that he's going to run the offense, you know, for a long time. And I know people have issues with that, you know, but to me that's more personnel and assistant coach based on, the you know, the, the big struggles this year on offense. Ten questions with the big boy right after the 
This is how Boston sports fans drive home. Oh, my God, please. Well, listen, yelling at each other. Those people should plot hell. Felger and Mav on 98.5 The Sports Hub. You want the answer? You've got to ask the question. Do you have an opinion based on if you had to go with your gut, what, which way it would go? Uh, Sometimes you have to ask it over and over and over again. Why, 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 why? This is 10 Questions with Greg Bedard and Felger and Mass on 98.5 The Sports Hub. 10 questions around the league. 10 minutes with Greg Bedard. we got to be on time. Jimmy, what are our buzzer options? Uh, five of my favorites from the year. All right. Oh, Best of. Like you know people are coming up from behind you. They're going to whack it out every time. They're going to whack it out. Okay, Danny, didn't know you. Well, okay, good. Next. Connor, Connor McDermott. McDermott. <laughs> In unison. Next. I don't like how you're doing this. You're nothing but an a-hole. You shut up, you bitch. <laughs> what do you know? That's Mac Jones and Joe Judge in the team meeting room. Yes. Oh, my God. Go f*** yourself. <laughs> That's Milliken just being Milliken. Last one. He beat off Bryce Young. That's what I was hoping for. <laughs> All-timer. Favorite. Yeah. Thank you. You wonder why Alabama is Alabama? Yep. He beat off Bryce Young. Exactly. I they get come it. up with one a year. <laughs> Some interesting uh, ways to settle the depth chart. Number 10, yeah. thoughts? Thoughts on Matt Patricia running the Eagles defense last night? <laughs> I giggled when they gave up the, the lead late. But, uh, you know, from what I know, this was a Howie Roseman production that, uh, you know, Howie put him in. He likes to uh, almost sort of like Game of Thrones things on his coaching staff and in his front office. And to, from what I heard, this was a Howie Roseman directed move on the coaching staff. I mean, given how that game ended, can we say the Seahawks now have one of the biggest plays in the fourth quarter in uh, recent NFL history? Can we say that? That Drew Locke picked up two third and tens in the game-winning drive, including the one on the touchdown. And rather than GTFB, which, again, that's what you need to be doing because they yes. needed to score a touchdown, that slob had his corners playing man, including James Bradbury, who blows. He gets roasted. He rushes four. It was classic Matt Patricia. It was the best. I took such great joy because they kept panning the camera on that pig on the Eagles sideline as he was getting roasted by another backup quarterback. I'm like, this is going to happen again. And it did. And it was the best. They just got patricia Next. I don't like how you're doing this. You're nothing but an a-hole. You shut up, you bitch. <laughs> other than you the, know? Other than the 49ers, Greg, panel, do you believe in anyone in the NFC? I think the Eagles will be right there at the end. They're way too talented not to figure things out. If they just play a little bit more conservative, which you know I think Matt Patricia can do uh, in time, and they just sort of make the other make the opponent beat them, I think they have a chance. But the Niners are the clear class of the NFC. Yeah, look, I I think all top three in the NFC are pretty good. I still don't rule out Dallas. I'm not telling you they're a favorite, and I'm going to give you a dark horse. Uh, right now, they're in. And if they get in, I think they could be a little scary, and that's the Rams. Okay. I'm asking you believe in. Who do you believe in? Uh, uh, I'm, I'm a hard no. Eagles are frauds. Cowboys are frauds. The Lions are the Lions, and they'll find a way to disappoint. All the wild cards are trash, so no. It's the Niners. Just give them the trophy now. That's what I'm looking for. I mean, if you believe that. Next. Connor, Connor McDermott. McDermott. Do you believe in anyone, anyone at all, in the AFC? I like the the Dolphins and the Ravens, but no. I don't trust Miami's offense traveling in January, and I don't trust Harbaugh at all. Uh, Casey, Buffalo, and Baltimore, all legit threats. 
I guess the Ravens, if I have to pick one. They had good road wins earlier in the season. They went to Cincy, beat Burrow when he was healthy. They just destroyed Jacksonville in Jacksonville. Lamar Jackson's healthy for once, so I guess Baltimore, but I don't feel great about it. Well, that doesn't sound like belief. Oh, Believe? Then no. no. Like I said, you give, believe in, give the trophy to the Niners now. It's over. That's it. That's the only team to believe in in the league, according to Murray. Next. Oh, my God. Go f*** yourself. What team should be better than they are? Who should be better than they are? Seattle. Uh, you know, Geno played tremendous last year. He's been awful this year. They have talent on that team. I don't know what the problem is. They should be better than they are. Uh, the Chargers and Jacksonville both. The Chargers are an easy one. That team shouldn't be out of the playoffs. And Jacksonville should be better than they are. They got talent. I Frankly, I'm a little disappointed in the quarterback. Well, call me Mr. Easy then. I went with the Chargers. Coach was obviously part of the problem, but there's too much talent on the roster for them to be a five-win team. Next. He beat off Bryce Young. <laughs> Do you like the league right now, Greg? Nope. I, I And I heard Murray talking about this, I think, with Gasper uh, over the weekend. The, the triple header that was on Saturday, I barely had any interest in those games. I, I don't think I even watched all that much of the games. And that, to me, says a lot where the NFL is right now. It's not very competitive, not very compelling, too many injuries, too many flags. I, I just don't have any interest in tuning in. I like it. Uh, no, I've never disliked it more. Offense is down so bad that in consecutive weeks, let's not forget, you had games that finished 6 nothing, which was here, and then 3 nothing, with the latter being played in an effing dome. The O-line plays atrocious. It's over-officiated. All the marquee games in prime time, save for Eagles, Bills, and Seahawks, Cowboys, have been blowout trash. The product blows. Parody's gone too far. And if it wasn't for the job and my stupid parlays that never hit, I'd spend my time reading or going for a long walk. Reading. Yeah, it's, reading. Fun, it's fundamental. <laughs> no, I, I I read. You read? Yeah. Either that or play the guitar. I think of them. Well, now we go. Yeah, no, well, there we are. I, I, I think it's good. I like it. I don't know who's going to win. Ugh. I don't know who's going to win. I don't know who's going to lose. I, that's what interests me. And it's I, I like the wide open nature of it. I like it. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with scoring being down. And scoring was up too much. It got goofy there for a couple of years. So I think it's in a good place. I'm happy with it. Next. I don't like how you're doing this. You're nothing but an a-hole. You shut up, you bitch. <laughs> what do you know? Number five, tool bag question. Is it a tool bag move for the NFL to have a game on Christmas Eve? Uh, yes. I don't like it. They've done it for years. I know I've covered games on Christmas Eve. Uh, you know, maybe it was more late afternoon. But, yeah, don't do that. Don't do that to people. The only tool bag part is that it's the Pats. Talk about screwing America. Yeah, so did you mean by Christmas Eve night? Because, I mean, it still falls on a Sunday. There's 10 games being played that day. The NFL plays on Sunday. Holiday be damned. Show must go on. Okay. That's not the thing. It is a tool bag move. You know, the NFL wants every night, every day during the season, we're going to take every night you got. We're not just going to take Thanksgiving. We're now going to take Black Friday. We're not just going to play on Christmas. We're not just going to play on Christmas Eve. We're going to play on the night of Christmas Eve. We're not just going to play on this day. We're going to play on that day. We're not just playing Mondays. We're playing Thursdays. And then when college is over, we're not just playing on Monday, Thursday, and Sunday. We're going to throw in some Saturday games. And uh, if you don't like it, we're just going to shove it right down your throat till you gag on it. And two on Monday night at the same time. Right. It's, it's, it's too much. It's too much. Next. You know people are coming up from behind you. They're going to whack it out every time. <laughs> They're going to whack it out. Interesting, Daniel. 
Number four, who is the most overrated quarterback in the league? Dak. I mean, look, I think he's good, but to me, he looks like a quarterback that everything has to be right. You know, he plays behind a great offensive line. They have a running game. They have a good defense. Like, but, you know, when it's things haven't worked, he's just, he's just not that good. Justin Herbert. I keep saying it. No one Stop. wants to hear it. It's Justin Herbert. Only scary when he runs. Saw him last night, Jalen Hurts. And a few years from now, mark my words, we're going to look back at that Super Bowl performance he had last year. Like, oh, he would have been MVP if the Eagles won. We're going to call that as big of a fluke as Joe Flacco's postseason run in 2012. Hurts, not, no, not so sneaky kind of snakes. Next. Connor, Connor McDermott. McDermott. Who's the MVP of the league? I know this last weekend didn't help his cause, but to me it's Tyreek Hill. And I, I just think he's the biggest difference maker. You take him away from the Dolphins. Yes, they won this week against the Jets. To me, that game said more about the Jets and about, you know, Zach Wilson and their quarterback position than anything else. Tyreek Hill is the biggest difference maker. The Dolphins don't have a chance in hell if he's not on the field. Christian McCaffrey, but I'll say this. It's not a quarterback. Whether you want McCaffrey or Hill or A.J. Brown, take you wherever you want, but it's not a quarterback this year. I'm with Maz. Christian McCaffrey, Niners offense runs through him or the left tackle, and they're not going to give it to an old lineman, so McCaffrey. Uh, I think it is a quarterback, and I think it's so clearly Patrick Mahomes, it's not even funny. What What, what is that? If they don't have Patrick Mahomes, yep. do they have a winning record? I, I, I know their defense is good, but they're hardly the only uh, good defense out there. There's a lot of good defenses. I mean, are, are, do they even have a winning record if it's not Patrick Mahomes? And they could be a Super Bowl team. I think it's him. Next. He beat off Bryce Young. Again, very interesting way to move up and down the depth chart there in Alabama. If Mike Tomlin moves on from Pittsburgh, where would be the best landing spot for him? And who would be a good coach for the Pittsburgh Steelers? Uh, for Tomlin, it would be Washington. He's from Hampton, Virginia. He went to William & Mary. It'd be going home for him. Uh, who would be good for the Steelers? Ah, I think Harbaugh would fit there. I mean, he sort of fits their persona. Uh, for fitting persona and not geography, Tomlin and the Bears feels like a good fit to me. Like the Bears, typically physical team historically, not necessarily offense first. I feel philosophically Tomlin's perfect. And if he goes there, I love the idea of Brian Flores taking over the Steelers. I think that's perfect. Best landing spot right now for Tomlin is TV for a year. Wildly entertaining. Doesn't pull punches even when talking about his own team. So you go to the desk or the booth for a season, then go take over some suck team next year or the following year for a mountain of money. And good coach for the Steelers, Mike Vrabel. Okay, two good ones. I got all, all three good ones. Next. I don't like how you're doing this. You're nothing but an a-hole. You shut up, you bitch. <laughs> what do you know? Greg, who's your favorite coach of all time? Not necessarily the best, but your favorite. Joe Gibbs. I, I don't know. I just love to watch his teams play. He won three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks. I think he's completely underrated and not mentioned enough. I will say B Bill Walsh was right there for me also. He was like my first coach that I was like, this guy's just, you know, cool. And the sweater on the sideline, just, I don't know. I, I just liked Bill Walsh as well. So I'm going to give you three of them. But but I will tell you that they're on the spectrum. There are various ends. Parcells and Walsh on the ends, Andy Reid in the middle, because I think he's some sort of combination of the two. Parcells had the personality. Walsh had the acumen. Reid has both. Uh, Parcells, for me, it's the guy who actually made the Patriots relevant here in my lifetime. Success everywhere he went. Funny. Mostly entertaining. He was kind of like a football Archie Bunker. Sometimes you'd laugh. Sometimes you'd be like, oh, my God, what are you doing? But I love Parcells. Vince Lombardi, Bill Walsh. Uh, two different guys, but uh, Walsh was uh, felt to me I, 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 
you know, not your typical hardo football coach, a little more cerebral and uh, mild-mannered and there's just something to him that was uh, different, I thought, endearing and very likable. Never mind the fact oh, that he was the first coach that I looked at and thought genius, you know, like mm-hmm. that thing. You know, that was him. And uh, Lombardi, I think, speaks for itself. Thus concludes 10 questions. Back to your phones right after Murray's update. He beat off Bryce Young. Now, more of the show that gets Boston home. Felger and Mass on 98.5 The Sports Hub. That's a big boy Tuesday with Greg Bedard from the Boston Sports Journal. He joins us in our Town Fire Tire studio. We're going to go back to your calls here. As promised, here's Steve in South Boston who has us on hold. Boy, the callers have just not been on their toes today, have they? Nope. Roy and Natick, what do you got for us, Roy? Yeah, I think I got the elegant solution that uh, Robert Kraft was looking for. Let's hear it, Roy. And then it, uh, Bill Belichick uh, chooses our quarterback. Oh, God. You like that? Hate it. <laughs> no, we trade the number two pick overall and Belichick to Washington for the number four pick and the number 41 pick. Okay, I'm just going to let him go. <laughs> Call sucked. Mary Manchester, I know she's ready to go. Hi, Mary. Mary. Bring it. Hi, Mike. Hi, guys. So, um, you know, Greg said something earlier that I just want to flesh out a little bit. You were talking about um, when the season ends, Greg, that um, Belichick is going to go to Kraft and he's going to have a game plan, which sounds, you know, something like something that Belichick would do. Do you think part of this game plan will be throwing Mac Jones under the bus and basically saying, you know, I take full responsibility for my mistakes, but we had to play Mac Jones and see what we had here as a quarterback. He was a first-round pick. We had to see if he could work through his issues. He's not the guy. Let me fix this mess. Do you think something like that is going to be said? Well, Mary, uh, I, I think that that's possible depending on what Belichick's goal is. I, I think as of right now, I think he knows what's going to happen. I think that he knows he's out, and it's really about – uh, manufacturing his own exit where Kraft has to fire him. I mean, they won't do that officially. They'll agree to a press conference, lang- uh, you know, press release language that dresses it up a little bit. But I think Bill knows. I think the writing's on the wall that he is out after this season. But if he has a change of plans, if he d- if there aren't other options out there that are appealing to him and he gets a little bit more desperate to retain power – then yes, I think absolutely that will be part of it. I think he'll have all sorts of excuses, uh, you know, on the ready and including, you know, throwing Mac Jones under the bus, which you know, I think he's been fine doing for a couple years. A hundred percent. And again, this ties into where we started and what we've been talking about the last couple of days, point differential, uh, one score losses, Yep. Where, where his defense is ranked. So you handed me a bad quarterback, but I still lived up to my end of the bargain. Uh, as I had full control of the defense with me and my kids, like all that sort of stuff comes in. Uh, here's Steve. Oh no, that's uh, we already uh, he already wasn't uh, ready to go. Eric on the South Shore. Hi, Eric. Oh God, I cannot believe the pathetic take I just heard you say that the Patriots' defense is a failure because they're 14th. When for the last three years I heard you say that Mac Jones was good, and the only reason that that bum has a win in the NFL is because the defense held the team to 20 points or less. Because what I can remember is he is 0 and 15 when the defense gives up more than 21 points. What a pathetic! And then for you to say that Dak Prescott is overrated because. He needs everything perfect, and you're a Mac Jones guy? Come on, Greg. Straight it up, kid. 
unbelievable. I don't remember. Okay. Did I uh, good anger the there. Defense? Good anger. Go ahead, Greg. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, some issues. Did I? What did he say I said about the defense? Well, no. So no listen, idea. his point, let's see where he's coming from. I mean, maybe some people perceive you a little bit as a Bill O'Brien apologist. I don't know. And yet you're sitting here saying that the defense isn't good enough uh, it, when Mac Jones could never win a game. I didn't say that. I, do, I was Matt, just pointing out where, they're, where they are. I didn't DBO say that. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going mm-hmm. beneath the surface of what was maybe behind his take. I'm going okay. a little bit beneath the surface there. So Jay that you Davis. are you're eager to dump on the defense but protect Mac Jones and the offense on this team. Your thoughts? Uh, I don't think I've protected <laughs> Mac Jones. I mean, you know, people can say that, but I don't think that's true. I mean, I was one of the first people this season, you know, outside of the, you know, anti-Mac crowd who've always been there. But in terms of, you know, waiting for the film to dictate, I mean, I was out on him, I don't know, about the midpoint of the season. Certainly the, after the Washington game, I was like, he's, he's, he's done. Um, you know, in general on the offense, I mean, look, I think, I think the, the crux of the problem on this team was where – the personnel on offense, um, the offensive line, the lack of weapons, the assistant coaches, which uh, you know are are terrible and just not good enough, and and that led to a lot of the issues. I'm not, I never said Mac Jones was good. I said I think he's a good quarterback. I think he's there, but the, yeah, he's one of these guys that needs a lot of things around him. I mean, you give him the forty, you give him what the Forty ers have. I'm not saying he's Brock Purdy. But he ain't what he was this year. I can tell you that much. So, you know, whatever. You can think whatever you want. Go right ahead. Yeah, put that that in your pipe and smoke it. I'm just telling you that's what the previous caller thinks. So he has the right to think it. I'm glad we established that. Long commercial-free segment is next. More on Belichick's future right after this. You're listening to Felger and Matt. I think this is a moral law. On the Sports Hub. When I think Bill Belichick, I just think the Eastern Seaboard. You know, his entire career has been spent there. It kind of fits his personality, the type guys. It's it's a little more gruff. You can be an yeah. uh even separate from the organizational setup with the Chargers. So I, I expect him. And, and to me, I, I think he's earned the right. They should fire him, like not try to trade him and just 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 have a clean fire him. Let him choose his destination. You shouldn't be worried about him going somewhere. Now, I could understand, like if the Bills fired McDermott, would you want him yeah. going in division or the Jets? even though he hates the Jets, but you never know, maybe out of spite, he's kind of a spiteful guy. I, I, I think it's tricky because he's earned them, him and Tom, them so much money, right? He has been one of the great employees in like the history of America. And, and now he hasn't been the easiest guy to deal with, yeah. but he's, but from the pocketbook. So I, I expect him to go to Washington. That, that would be my best guess would be the Washington commanders. He's their head coach. And it probably, you know, I, I don't expect them to be some powerhouse, and I don't think he clearly is still a pretty good defensive coordinator. Yeah. He can bring Josh McDaniels with him, yeah. which I think makes him a lot more desirable because it's pretty clear. Like without Josh McDaniels, he's not exactly the same guy. Billy O'Brien is not as good as an offensive coordinator as Josh is for Bill. But to me, the Washington commanders doesn't just make a lot of sense. Well, yeah, out of that region, they, that area. And they would pay him. They'd make him the highest paid guy. They'd give him a five year, hundred million dollar deal and be public 20 million bucks a year. By the way, D.C., he would be able to get on his private jet and go to Nantucket. It's close. It would just for his lifestyle. He, by the way, he's got places in Jupiter, Florida, Nantucket. It's easy. It's East Coast. Again, that's uh, Colin Coward and John uh, Mikulkoff. They're on Colin's uh, podcast. Washington makes the most sense. Greg, if you had to handicap it, Belichick going forward, what are your landing spots? 
We were just talking about that in here because Bert just uh, reported. He said, my sense is that the new owner in Washington, Josh Harris, won't hand the keys to the entire operation over to a single person, um, which throws a curveball a bit into the build thing. And, you know, is he does he know that? Will he come in with a personnel guy? Sort of what we talked about with the Patriots. I mean, you know, to me, the the Chargers, I don't think I don't know if the Bears are going to have an opening. I do think the Bears would be interesting. Like they've. They played well. They have a nice young layer that's sort of, you know, coming on the rise. I don't know if there's going to be an opening, but if I'm him, it might be the Bears. Plus, having him on board could help them get the stadium that they're trying to build outside the city. Um, so I guess those are the spots that, that that I really look at. I don't think Dallas is at all a possibility. Jerry Jones was asked about Mike McCarthy today and was over the top in praise of him talking about a contract extension and what he's meant for the for Dak Prescott and and things like that. That's right. I like keeping around like a Pillsbury doughboy. I can just poke in his belly. <laughs> How about the Chargers stuff? Bill wouldn't want to go there because they've hired too many kids, which again would be a, yeah, right. a rich irony, right, Maz? Oh yeah, no, no, no. He's okay with them hiring kids as long as they're kids. Like so, so again, I, I'm willing to bet that that can be neutralized by hiring the Belichick sons along with Belichick. Something tells me that that is uh, fair is fair. So I, I still think the Chargers are an obvious place for him to go. Uh, I'm not telling you it's the best fit or the you know number one on the list, but in terms of talent being on the team, Bill being able to elevate it, like that, that's a good match. And so I, I think they're very much in play. The whole, to me, Nantucket-Jupiter thing, it's like, so wait a minute. Uh, the commanders offer him $15 million a year, and he doesn't get full control. The Chargers offer him $20 million a year and full control. He's going to choose Washington because he can get to Nantucket quicker. <laughs> like, I mean, why do people still think this way? Yeah. It's like, if the offers are equal, then sure. Washington makes more sense geographically. It's where Bill's from on top of it. Fine. Then you add in all that stuff. If the money's equal and the job is equal, then you get to location. Then you get to location. Other than that... Like, no, like he's going to take the best offer, the best contract offer, the best job description. And that could be in Annapolis. That could be in Washington. That could be in Timbuktu. The question is, does the Chargers see? I, I, it, that's, this sort of speaks to the Spanos kid stuff, Greg. I've always viewed the Chargers as a two-bit second city operation. Mm-hmm. You know, small-time owners who got the team when it was, I think, aren't they from the AFL days? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like you know, they're what they're this you know they probably bought the team for twenty five thousand dollars or something like that, held on to it somehow through the years, and now run a billion dollar operation just because they the family hung on to the thing, but they have no they don't know their ass from their elbow and they don't have any real money to speak of you know so I like I've always viewed the Chargers a second rate operation, and that to but again if they come up with a first rate offer for Bill, he'd go there. But I don't know if they will. It just doesn't sound like them. Yeah, and I know one of the Spanos' kids is pretty heavily involved, uh, might even be on the sideline during games. But whatever, Bill can figure out a way around that. He can. I, I don't think that would be a big factor one way or the other. He wants the money, and he wants control. He wants to be able to do what he does. Anything else, he'll handle it. He'll ice people out. You know, he, he knows what to do. Okay. Thanks for coming in, big boy. Thanks for having me. Good to see you, Greg. Happy holidays. People. Merry Christmas and all that. Yeah, yeah big boy. You're not going to Denver, are you? Going to send Girardi no. to Denver? No. You going anywhere? Is no. you going to send? You going to send Girardi? No. Oh, do it on Christmas Eve. Yeah. Hell no.
It's not, it's, kind of it's about business. You're the boss, and you get to you know, you get to do that thing. That's no. the equivalent of giving someone coal Waste for Christmas. Time yeah. and money. Watch it on TV. You can report the same way. No, you yeah. know what you do. You, you call them up. And you say, "Hey, this is what you signed up, pal. Signed up for, pal. You want the job? You got to go. Move your ass." <laughs> I kid, of course. What a useless night that's going to be. Wow. All right. Anyway, thanks again, Greg. Uh, folks, listen, uh, we, we want to talk about something other than football. You can. We'll still take the football calls. You're all lined up. I see you. So we'll continue the conversation. If there's anything else you want to hit on, now's your time to do it. Okay, the 4 o'clock hour after the big boy leaves. So you're only on the Celtics, the uh, Bruins. I got a little quick little Bruins thought for you coming up. The latest on the Yamamoto stuff. Uh, we're going to have Maz sort of further explain this uh, really, I feel like, complete fundamental shift, philosophy shift on horses versus ponies. I want him to further explain this. Because, again, since he got hit in the back of the head with a shovel, uh, he's, he's sort of flipped on the horses versus ponies thing. He has, to, he has to further explain that. So we'll do all of that starting next hour, starting in just a couple seconds. First, an update from Murray. No commercials, and we're right back.